Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a continuation of the Friday Views Yahoo Sports podcast. I am joined by the man, the myth, the legend himself. This kind of feels like when George Clooney returned to ER. That I don't know if that's a thing. I don't know if that happened. I just know he was on the show. And <laughs> we've got William Liu back with us here. How are you, Will? Uh, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Um, always a pleasure to be back on Yahoo Sports Canada, you know, um, lots of great memories. So, yeah, it's great to be on. I mean, yeah, and this is it's going to be really great because this is a fun season and there's no one better to really recap the season with than with a guy who does a daily Raptor show. <laughs> And yeah, he gives us enough. a post-game pod. So so I because I wanted to go through, I was, I was sitting here thinking about okay, we had lofty expectations and some expectations were not that high. And reality, I think, really surprised everybody. So I thought, who better to do an expectations versus reality podcast with than with the guy who talks about this team probably more than anybody? Yeah, thank you. Um, you know, I definitely feel like um, you know, my life is a little bit too geared towards the Raptors. I think That's there were some weeks this season where I think I might have done 10 shows in a singular week. And uh my question to people was just like, how are you listening to this much Raptors content? You know, like uh the game is only 48 minutes, but then I'll talk about it for maybe three hours afterwards. But in any like- case, I'm happy for everyone to tune in, consume all Raptors content, support all Raptors content creators. And uh, yeah, let's let's do this. I like this reality versus expectations. This feels like, you know, when you get those um, uh, the, the, the English assignments, you know, like in English class in like grade 10 and they're like, you know, pick out some themes from Macbeth. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what it feels like. Right now. Are, do it. Is it really bad that I came up with this and those are my favorite assignments? <laughs> okay. Oh, God. Um, no, but I was going to say, I have to give you your flowers. I think everyone deserves their roses and Raptors content. Was so hard to find growing up. Oh man, that's why we <laughs> had to make them. Like and, literally, and, that's and, why we and, had to do this. And and pioneers here, uh, you're you're a pioneer here because it was it was painful. It was painful to turn on maybe some some major stations and listen to guys on the team's name being pronounced incorrectly, despite you know being on the team. <laughs> Uh, but no, it's fun. So um, you you're doing great work, giving the people what they want. There can never be enough Raptors content. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. No worries. So let's let's talk about let's start with the playoffs. Let's start from the back and sort of work our way towards our preseason expectations. So I have to ask you, the Raptors lose to the Philadelphia 76ers in six games. What were your expectations before reality hit and were done? Um, my expectations were that it was going to be a really long and tough series. Um, I thought Raptors were going to take it in seven. But also, in retrospect, um, every time I predicted Raptors in seven, it is never Raptors in seven. Um, you know, I, I think back to the last time I said Raptors in seven was Raptors-Cavs 2018. 
I think when I say Raptors in seven, I'm just like the other team is probably going to win, but I hope the Raptors do. Uh, Cause I'm probably going to back my team regardless, but um, yeah, I thought there was some merit in that. I thought like for the Sixers to lose that first round, I think a lot of what um, the doubts against them would have to come true, which the only kind of half came true. Like as much as like, James Harden really couldn't score on a lot of these different matchups and all that stuff. Like James Harden didn't dominate, but James Harden was also quite good. Yeah. And especially in all the games that really mattered for the Sixers. I thought game one, James was really good. Game six, James was really good. That's what they needed from him. And that's what they basically were able to come through with. We knew that Embiid was going to be this like unstoppable force, really. Like the Raptors um, were able to limit him to a certain degree. Obviously, he picked up the hand injury, you know, like so there were some things that the Raptors were able to do defensively that helped but also he got banged up um but he was kind of a force of nature and i think you know the rest of philly is like kind of what we expected um we knew yeah. that maxi was a really really lethal third option he continues to be so even in this series against miami you know tobias harris i thought probably was like awesome in his role especially as a fourth option it's a three and d guy he can get his own bucket attack a couple of mismatches but most importantly the defense he played against pascal like pascal could still score against them especially in single coverage, but uh, I thought Tobias was really physical with him, played his role perfectly. The rest of it, we knew like Doc was going to, you know, make some curious decisions. Realistically, I don't think Doc made that many curious decisions in round one. Um, and I think the other part is just we knew Philly had no bench, and that part was absolutely true. They really didn't get any support off the bench, but their top four is quite good. And yeah, um, yeah that was enough to get them past the Raptors. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. In terms of what the expectations were coming into the season, or coming into the series, I would say that people expected the Sixers to have better top-end talent than the Raptors, and that is essentially what won out. I mean, Game 6 is the perfect example of that with James Harden stepping up in the way that he did and Joel Embiid doing what he did. But what I found really interesting in that series, particularly from the Raptors' perspective, because I do think things played out for the Sixers in the way that you would expect them to. They had no bench. Their top-end talent did win out. Tobias Harris really did step up. Tyrese Maxey had his sort of breakout playoff performance and he's continuing to do so um, really looking spectacular and really fun and springy. But for the Raptors, things were really, really odd. Um, I So after game three, which they lost and it was an absolute heartbreaker, which we know there's always going to be a heartbreaker. There's got to be a game. Honestly, that was kind of a game winning series shot, even though it happened in game three. I thought the Raptors outplayed the Sixers and they they could have pushed it to a game seven had they won that game. Mm. Um, but the Raptors did not play very Raptors-esque. Games one and two, they lost because of their defensive rating. The Raptors had a defensive rating of 130 in their losses, in their four losses against the Philadelphia 76ers, which is not something that you would peg this Raptors team to do. Yes, they didn't have Fred VanVleet for a good chunk of that, and when he did play, he was a huge reason for why their defensive rating was as bad as it was, but that's not something that we really expected from this Raptors team, and in the first two games, their half-court offense was not bad. Their half-court offense was actually pretty good. It was serviceable. They were actually shooting pretty well in those first two games. We'll talk about the shooting as the series went on. Probably to be expected that the Raptors struggled to hit a three. But in those first two games, the losses just felt very uncharacteristically Raptors. It makes sense that they lost those games. They were on the road, facing the better team. But the games just did not feel Raptors-esque. Would you agree with that as someone who does a post-game show? Yeah, um, I mean, look, defensively, 
they weren't nearly as together as I think they showed in the second half of the season. I think <laughs> they made a lot of great improvements as the year went along. I think the expectations all along was that the Raptors would be a really good defensive club. And I did, they did end up finishing top 10 in defense, but yeah. they were outside of the top 10 for quite a long time. And there were certain issues that continued to impact them, whether it was defensive rebounding or they were fouling a lot or, you know, missing rotations, all that kind of stuff. But like towards the second half of the season are really solidified. And it was strange, as you mentioned, to see them come undone. Having said that, though, like, I think there were two real issues going against them. Number one, like, and B just required a double team at all times. Yeah. Like, they're just, even Precious, who probably was the best individual defender against Embiid, I think Embiid still shot, like, 60% against him in that matchup. So, it's like, you still need to double team. You need to rotate over. I think that as the series going along, they did a better job of not fouling him which games yeah. one and two, all the talk was just about how much the Raptors fouled and beat. And honestly, like 80% of those were legitimate fouls. Like I, I even on like, you could cry about one or two missed calls. And I'm sure people did and myself included, yeah. but like they just couldn't hold him. Right. And so they had to double him all the time. And then I had to give James a lot of credit. He did a really good job of running the team. I mean, like the other conversation with the Sixers I have all the time is like, what can you win the minutes when Embiid sits? Right. Yeah. And for the Sixers, they were able to do that effectively because it became the James Harden offense, not in the sense that it was James Harden scoring all the time, but he was doing such a good job of distributing, whether it was to finding to, uh, Tobias or Tyrese, even like Georges Niang shot like 70% in the series from three. That didn't help. Um, That's some J.R. I mean, Smith versus the Raptors numbers. Oh, God, don't mention it, please. Uh, it's pretty bad. <laughs> you, but, no, but seriously, you mentioned 2018 first. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, yeah, well, but. Yeah, defensively, they're just, I, I don't know, they weren't really able to contain them uh, as consistently. I thought, obviously, games three, four, and five is probably their best performances, and obviously their defense was good enough in those three games, especially game five. I mean, holding the Sixers to under 100 points was really impressive, but um, there were just some real challenges, and honestly, I got to give the Sixers a lot of credit. A, they shot the ball efficiently every single game. Like, how many games in this series did they shoot 50% from the field, 40%? plus from three. And then the second part is just like their ball movement was genuinely really good. And that comes down to Joel being with the handle of the double teams. I think that's one of the tricky things with him is just like, you're going to double him all the time, but eventually over the course of the series, he might sort of figure out and adapt to some of the schemes, right? So you got to keep throwing surprises at him. And I thought he did a better job of handling that in game six. And then I thought, honestly, James Harden did a really good job as a distributor. Like, yeah, it's okay. I, I don't really feel that much, uh, angst about necessarily um the Sixers beating you offensively we can honestly like if those four guys are playing together um they're very very good they're very formidable as as a team especially because they also have shooters like Danny who like I mean damn Danny really uh, no more Danny Green slander I mean this guy's a champion three-time champion with three different clubs and uh the man shot the lights out He's still shooting the lights out for them. Didn't he have <laughs> seven idiot. threes in a game? I thought he might have seven threes in the whole championship run, man. Like, what's going on, I was going to say, I don't remember the shooting in 2019, Danny. <laughs> yeah, it's all good. Um, no, but, uh, I mean, you're entirely right. Their defensive rating in the wins was 98.4, in yeah. large part to that one game that they had where, what was it, 88 points or something ridiculous? Damn. Did they even get 90? I don't even Damn. think they cracked 90. Yeah. Um, it was I, their, their defense of the wins – spectacular and when they won they played the brand of basketball that you expected mm -hmm. them to and in the losses they I would say early on in the losses it felt very uncharacteristic I think game six it was just a complete beat down from the from the Sixers they proved to be the better team in that game a uh, little salty about it but you know what not that bad because I think coming into the season expectations were probably that this team at best 
look to be a first round out. Would you yeah. say that that was your expectations heading into the season as well? Yeah, yeah. I thought that was sealing the team. Mostly because, like, they're really young. This is a newer group. And, like, even for the players who had been here for a while, like OG, Pascal, and Fred, like, they were stepping into new roles. Yeah. Right? So, I think um, given all those uncertainties, like, you really had to sort of limit your expectations. And quite frankly, I think they actually exceeded pretty much all of them. Um, And, yeah, even in the playoff series, it was like, well, you know, as you mentioned, like they're, they didn't, they played up to their potential three times. Unfortunately, they lost one of those games really should have been able to force a game seven if you took game three. But, um, you know, I, I think there is like a really good foundation there to build on. And, uh, you know, it's one of those rare seasons where even though they lose in the first round, you can still feel pretty happy about where this team's going. For sure. It definitely gave me 2014 Toronto Raptors versus exactly. Brooklyn Nets vibes. But I will say, after game two, it was feeling a little 2050. Uh, <laughs> it, was, it was feeling a little 2050 yeah. there for I think especially for Fred, too. Like, that's the yeah. thing that's really sad. It's just that like he had such a really good season. And then second half of the year, his knee breaks down because of that Pelicans game. He apparently took a hit. And then he just never got right. You know, Wait, and it's just so, so are sad you saying your undersized point guard who made the all-star game for yes. the first time ever breaks down in the second half? No, of it's it's unbelievable <laughs> the parallels. I mean, it's like it's like a mix of 24, it's like the had the vibes of 2014, but then you had Fred having the 2015 Kyle Lowry season, minus yeah. the fact that Kyle got really chubby and then came back the next year and, and was spelt Lowry. So maybe so are we know. gonna get are we gonna get spelt spelt Fred Van Vliet next year? Spelt Van Vliet? If you I think Fred's already spelled. I, I is, think Fred can skip past he's, that part. He's, but, he's fine. <laughs> but, but no, getting, seriously, get the B right. 2016, 2017, probably my favorite. Or 2015, 2016. So hopefully, yes. um, hopefully, Fred is in for an All NBA season next season. If if everything sort of pans out the way that we're breaking breaking through, but the Raptors need to just skip 2015. Don't have that year. Yeah. That's uh, Fred, Fred took it for you guys. Um, I did want to talk a little bit more about the playoffs here because I think the expectations coming into the series was that Joel Embiid would be the ultimate villain. And I think he was, and I know that he loves to play that card. He plays it well. He's got the airplane arms out. He broke up. In game one, he literally injured everybody on the team. (laughs) Game one, he was a one-man wrecking ball. Um, And I mean, he, he is a villain and he plays it well. He wears it well. But I think... I think the villains of the series, probably Toronto Raptor fans. I think that's what the expectations okay. really did prove. What's your say on this? Yeah, okay. So I saw this on the rundown. I was kind of surprised. Like, what do you mean by this? Like, I love an well, explanation. So after the series has gone on mm-hmm. and, and Joel Embiid's face is broken, um, Raptor fans have become, for the larger audience base, I don't think within our, like, Within Raptor fan groups, I don't think we see ourselves as the villain, but I think perception of a whole is that Raptor fans have become the villains of this series for how they reacted to Joel Embiid getting injured. I will say, Joel turned to the crowd. Pascal apologized for the injury. I don't think Pascal is truly the villain, but I think it's been turned into, you guys wanted him hurt, and look, now he's hurt. Um... What are your take on that? Yeah, I mean, I don't know about you, but when the play happened, I mean, I was in the arena, so I wasn't watching, like, the replays and all of that stuff. Yeah. Like, it, I didn't know he got hurt. Like, he got, like, I you know what I'm saying? Like, it was a it was a hit. I think it's, like, so it's, like, you know, it's, it's two things. Number one, like, for Raptor fans, like, 
because Embiid was the villain, people wanted to see him knock down a peg, right? Yeah, no one wanted sure. to see him like actually get hurt. Like objectively, you don't you don't walk around and Raptor fan sentiments were not like, hey, let's uh, let's break his orbital bone and get, give him a concussion, right? That that's really awful. You wouldn't wish that on anybody. No. Um, but it was like, okay, we want to see him like someone take it to Embiid, not fizz, not like. Uh, break his face again just to be clear not to break his face it's the tough hard foul it's what everybody says it's what everybody kind of and and here's the thing I I um was watching the Sixers broadcast uh for the game and they didn't know that he was injured nobody knew that it was as serious as it was so people Um, were not cheering his injury people were cheering that the villain got knocked over yeah now I think there's like there's a very important distinction we made there um, now I, I think the other part I is just clarification. Like, I wasn't actually calling Raptor fans films. I just wanted us to actually have yeah. a moment to talk about this because yeah. I think it's been overblown. It definitely has been. And I think Joel, after winning game three against the Heat, also brought this point up as well. And he's like, Well, you know, I didn't really like the fact that the fans were chanting, you know, FMB, which is also kind of funny to me. So I'm like, all literally, right, literally, really? you guys were up three one and your entire <laughs> They were booing Maxi. They were boo- not Maxi. Yeah. Sorry, they're booing Matisse, who has the same name as Maxi. I'm sorry, you guys. It's the same it's name. So I annoying. I made it. the same mistake like eight times. Uh, the same name. <laughs> I'm so confused by it. No, but I'm um, like, come on. He was like, think of the kids, and I was like, think of the kids, man. The kids are saying this. The kids too. are the ones booing. No, but no, look, I, I think look. Uh, there's a healthy animosity. It's good. Like I actually really enjoy the fact that like Sixer fans are like constantly going to Raptor fans, and the Raptor fans are going to Sixer fans. Like I think. You know, a couple things. Number one, like, um, because of the injury that happened, right, Sixer fans immediately jumped to Pascal Siakam is, like, a, a dirty player, which, like, honestly, and this is not even just biased. We've watched Pascal's entire career. This man is not dirty in the slightest. They literally he, hugged, and he apologized to him right after the game. That's not a sign yes. of someone Also, he did a Euro step me. and took it to the cup. Like, uh, uh, yes, yeah. if you play basketball, like, you will probably catch an elbow to the face at some point. Just ask Ken Birch who catches an elbow every game, literally game one, he caught an elbow from Joel Embiid. And then, you know, Scotty Barnes got to cut an elbow. It's like, we weren't complaining. We weren't saying, wow, Joel Embiid intentionally elbowed these guys in the face. No, Joel Embiid made a big move. He made a move, like rebounding the ball in Kemp's case or in Scotty's case, just like denying him from the layup. That one honestly was a flagrant and it was reviewed as a flagrant, but it wasn't even like, no one said it was a dirty play. It was a basketball play. He said no layups. That's fine with me, right? Like, so Pascal did a Euro step and, and elbowed him in the, uh, across the head. Again, it's really unfortunate that he got a concussion and an orbital eye fracture. We, I genuinely sympathize with that. I think most Raptor fans sympathize with that. That shit is terrible. But, like, realistically, that's just a basketball play. That's such a basketball – that's like a regular, regular play. And so, you know, in seeing that and Sixer fans jumping to the idea that it's all Siakam's fault – FC Occam. And it's not even just like fans were jumping, like media were jumping in on this as well. Yeah. Very like, it was ridiculous. just like literally past Ben Simmons. He was, became like the second most hated man in Philadelphia, Pascal Siakam. So a lot of people were jumping in in defense of Pascal as well, because it's like, you don't want to hear people always say that Pascal's dirty when we know he's not. But like also so for a team that employs of- James Harden, who I say goes into the Oprah arms on every single layup. People get hit in the face. He it literally knocked. What, what did he knock out? OG's tooth or contact? It was one of the two. I, I don't know which one. And I don't know how yeah. we're unsure of it. But, but like, 
it's play, it's also playoff basketball. Like things happen. Yeah. Like we're not gonna we're, we're not out here saying James Harden is dirty because yeah. he did this. We're not even saying Joel Embiid is dirty. I think I think some people were like some very very uninformed people were saying, oh, he intentionally stepped on Scotty's foot. No, he didn't, man. Like game one, no, he didn't. No. He just turned his body but and, and stepped. I think- I think and, that's what happens with fans. They get really upset because it's like, oh, no, my player is down. And I think that yes. that's how Sixers fans feel right now. And you just need someone to blame. You need someone to be sure. upset by. You need someone to to put that on. Pascal Siakam did not mean anything but, by it. Um, and it's unfortunate that this happened, but he's out there. He's playing. And they just took game three. So, yeah. you know what? It's fine. Um, I but, think the other part, too, is actually – this. Is, I, 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 I yeah. want your thoughts on this, too. It's just like I know for for a lot of men – and maybe I'm just generalizing, but that's fine. I'm going to do it right now. For a lot of men, watching sports is like our form of like therapy or like it's a therapeutic experience in the sense that you get to explore your emotions. You get to feel a lot of things and you get to like express your emotions. Right. I know for a lot of men, this is something that's that's hard for, for us to do. So I think watching sports has that therapeutic effect. And so when you feel when you're watching the game and you're like, I'm very frustrated because this 300 pound man has been flopping around. It, which again, I'm not trying to slander him. It's just descriptive. It's it's not. I'm not trying to, dis, uh, to slander him. But like, if you see him embellishing contact as a 300 pound man while also dishing on elbows, while also playing up to the crowd, while also doing all this stuff, and he's beating you, a lot of people are going to be upset. And then, like, that's the whole point of sports. It's there to like upset you, provoke you, to make you feel really relieved when you win, to make you feel really good when you win, celebratory. Like, that's the function of sports plays in society. Yeah. So for like for a beat to like not get that and after the fact be like, well, think of the kids, man. I mean, like, I'm like, think of the kids. Like, bro, this is you know what like I I'm not saying maybe maybe he doesn't know, but like this is really the business you're in. You're here to like play sports. I mean, a lot of people really care about how you put the ball in the basket and which team and wins at the end of the day, but ultimately most people are here, at least in some part, to like just get out some of their emotions to like live through this game. That's the function of athletes. Like, I'm sorry, it's not just about the athletics. I, I, I'm, and I think he probably knows that, too, because I mean, he plays it up to the crowd, which I actually yeah. really enjoyed. It made the series much more fun. Like, oh, I felt sure. more invested because MB was, like, actively okay. taunting the team. Like, yeah. that's great. It was great theater, right? But at the end of the day, it's like, it's like if you play a, a villain in a movie and then people are like, oh, man, you know, I hated this character. And he's like, what do you mean? You hate me? And it's like, no. Think about the kids while watching your Marvel movie. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I, I don't. What's your thoughts on that? Like, do no, you, do I think you... that I think that's really apt. I think all forms of sort of entertainment exist as an escape, but also allow us to process our emotions in a in a different way. You know, that's mm-hmm. why we we feel so deeply for for characters in movies, and I think the same happens with with players on our television screen. I think um, they're they they kind of operate as characters in movies to us quite often, and there is this aspect that I think maybe players don't don't love because there is a sort of you know we're real people we're not just characters that you're seeing on screen and so I get the sort of disconnect that they feel but that's certainly the way that the audience perceives it and it makes sports all the more fun so I'm with you on that I completely agree um, and I think that was a great way to put it it was, it was deep yeah we got deeper than I thought we would that was deep I like that Listen, if we all went to therapy, we probably would have had a less toxic uh, response to Joel. If, but in any case, congrats, Joel. If I were your English teacher, A plus, A plus on finding your themes in Nick Thank you, um, thank you. <laughs> 
So let's go, let's go into preseason expectations because this is a really fun team. I wrote mm-hmm. about them in the beginning of the season. The Raptors are zigging when everybody else zags. They are, and, and Masai Ujiri touched on that in his uh postseason press conference as well about this being a copycat league and if teams start to see the succeed they'll definitely start to copy it and and he also talked about if he can have a hundred different preciouses and pascals he would because this is the future of the nba if you can get them you certainly should go out and get them it is made for the weirdest team in basketball sometimes it is made for the oddest rotations but um what the Raptors are doing right now with Vision 6-9 is definitely, it feels revolutionary. It's something that we have not seen in basketball before. But if I told you, you could field a team with a bunch of Giannis's, would you not try your best to go out and do that? A bunch of 6-9 guys who can handle the ball a little bit, who can play make a little bit and shoot a little bit. I think everybody would want to do that, except the Raptors are not quite at the part where they can shoot a little bit and play make a little bit. They're still sort of developing and learning those aspects. So we have some drawbacks. Um, what were your preseason expectations for this team, knowing what the roster construction uh, was? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought it's pretty clear that the team was going to struggle on offense. And I think ultimately that is one of the things that doomed them. Even, um, Sixers are like a pretty good defensive team. Um you know, I think obviously having MB just keeps your floor so high, but even still the Raptors just didn't have enough firepower to sort of keep pace with the, with the Sixers at times. And it's like, you know what, in, in playoff series, like you can't only try to win one way. You can't only win games if you can get them to play your style, to slow it down, to like really, you know, grind it out and all that kind of stuff. Like ideally you can impose your style on the other team, but the best teams are able to win multiple styles. Like I saw the championship team, outgun other teams in, in, in games where their defense wasn't the greatest right but like the other team's going on a run but all of a sudden you come up with the run yourself and you're able to sort of generate these baskets and look part of that is like fred getting hurt like really i think yeah. this is like the most overlooked part of the season is that fred going down and like and, and suffering this knee injury and never coming back nearly the same like he was an all-star player and then after the all-star break he was just like a replacement level player which is really really hard to adjust for when you don't other have you don't have other guards really to step up in that spot so I think offensively like that's where the team has has to improve and you look at game six for example right where the Sixers strategy was like okay we're gonna we're not gonna let Pascal have the ball in fact we're gonna blitz him at half court even though he's not a threat to score at half court we're gonna blitz him at half court like he's Steph Curry because we just don't want him to have the ball we will trust anyone else to have the ball and I, the other part of their strategy was they were going to put Embiid on Scotty Barnes, and then they just had Embiid stay at the basket and basically give him the Tony Allen treatment. And Scotty scored, like, I think he had 18 points on, like, 8 of eight, eight of 20 shooting, but it wasn't enough, and it wasn't enough to change their schemes. And so I think they have to improve the shooting on the personnel, which you either can address through a free agency or you can just try to continue to improve them internally. And I don't actually think that the internal improvement angle is something that fans should outright dismiss i know it's like we all want to believe these fairy tales about the raptors having the best development staff and they can teach them to do anything or whatever but like i think they could really teach these guys how to shoot and i think once you get precious into a position where he's shooting the way he shot the second half of the season once you get scotty shooting um and his shooting to come along, I think the rest of the team is actually mostly there. But in the meantime, it's the question is, do you want to bring in some reinforcements to sort of bridge the gap? Kind of similar to the way, like, you remember when the Raptors, after 2017, they were like, okay, you know, we're going to run this team back, but we're going to go younger, have the bench mob. But they're like, we're going to sign CJ Miles just, you know, even though he's like, doesn't fit the age or the timeline or anything like that, 
just to serve a role so that the, the rest of the team can kind of function around that kind of ability for him to shoot. Like, I wouldn't mind another kind of signing like that. Yeah, no, certainly. I wouldn't either. I, I think that that's what I thought the team would do at the deadline. Yes, <laughs> me too, actually. But they're like, nah, another six nine four. He was really that LeBron meme. And he's like, you know what? <laughs> Here you go, two more. Like I was like, all right. <laughs> so it was, it was so, it was such a funny, funny moment because I feel like for months everybody was talking about, okay, well, what that's what the Raptors need, or yeah, yeah. maybe the Raptors need a seventh vote guy because you do, you, you said it. Part of being a good playoff team is being able to match up with your opponents. It's not just about mm-hmm. imposing your yeah. will. And in order to do that, you have to have the best player of the series, I think, which is something that the Raptors don't always have. Wouldn't have, I think. No, we had once. Kawhi, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so nice. I keep like, uh, it's so great that he played for us. I want to come back, Kawhi. It'd be perfect. But um, so I, I once asked, yeah, tangent. I once asked Yasmin. I was like, if you could bring any former Raptor back to this team, who would it be? And I, I was like trying to prompt her to say like a Demar or something. She's like Kawhi, and I was like, oh yeah, he played here. Like it completely escaped my mind that that could be something. Um, but uh, so. I forgot my question by, by doing that right there. But, um, oh, yeah, I complete. I, I thought that the Raptors were going to go get that guy or go and get a big, go yeah. and get a backup center. I particularly was fond of, like, maybe going out and getting an Eric Gordon type. I wanted someone who could space the floor, someone who could shoot. I didn't know what his price was. Apparently, it was too high because he never got moved. But the Raptors went out and just got the same thing. Spider-Man memeing the entire team which is a hilarious Masai Ujiri move and mm-hmm. not something I don't see him doing in the offseason as well. <laughs> like, oh, you know. As much as we clamor and call for it, I would so expect, I feel like our reality might just be, he's going to go get more of the same guy. We drafted Scotty Barnes, traded for Thaddeus Young. There's no reason to believe that the Raptors are not going to go out and get the same type of guy in the offseason. But is that who you are looking to get? A, a guard, another guard potentially, someone who can handle the ball some and someone who can shoot, would that be at the top of your priority list for the Raptors moving forward? Yeah, I, I think they need a third guard. Um, ideally, a larger one who can play make a little bit. Like, mm. I mean, the guy I had in mind was uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich. Like, that kind of player um, would really, really help. Um, obviously, I think Atlanta, given the season they had, they probably will make some moves, so we'll see. I expect them to be active in either trades or even just free agency in general, although I don't know how much calorie cap they have. But anyway, they can move some pieces around. Uh, And they should. But um, yeah, like I think that kind of player would help them more in the regular season. I think then you will have injury insurance to a guy like Fred, to a guy like Gary. Um, But I think in a playoff setting, probably size matters a little bit more to me. Like, I I think, yeah, the Raptors like definitely need more scoring. Let's be real. But um, I I think if you have some internal improvements from some of the guys, I'm thinking about Scotty in particular and, and Precious, then then all of a sudden, like, your offense is going to be okay. It's really just, like, how much you can impose your uh, defensive style on the opponent. And I think without a seven-footer, that does limit the Raptors in some regard in terms of certain matchups that you want to play. And I don't mean, like, you need a seven-footer because seven-footer versus Joel Embiid, all of a sudden you can guard in single coverage, all that stuff. Like, that doesn't exist. Even when Marcus All was here, that didn't exist. Yeah. But I mean, like, seven-footer in the sense that, like, you look at the Bucks, for example. When you see Bucks versus uh, uh, Celtics right now, Celtics can't score in the paint at all because of the fact that the Bucks have so much size in the middle. And they're able to dictate the style of play by saying, you're basically only going to shoot jumpers against us because you're either going to have you're gonna have to beat Drew Holiday in the perimeter. Then you got to come in and, and, and beat Brooke Lopez on the, on the help. And then if you beat Brooke Lopez, 
oh, Giannis is just flying in last second to block your shot. So you're never going to score in the paint, period. Um, I think that's where a seven-footer could really help, that the extra bit of shot-blocking presence. I mean, so so basically you're telling me Bismarck Biombo would be more important to this team than CJ Miles in a playoff setting. I mean, listen, uh, man, Bismarck Biombo's <laughs> playoff resume in Toronto speaks for itself. Um, it really does. It really does. Um, so, okay. Who are you looking at in the offseason? Like, are, is that guy available? Have you thought about it at all? It wasn't on the rundown, but I've been trying to go through my, rack my brain of who would be the ideal guy for the Raptors to get? Yeah, I mean, I haven't fully done this exploration either because we have uh, four months of uh, offseason ahead of us. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, like I, I've heard like Mo Bamba described as a guy that, you know, like, I, I mean, that makes sense to me to some degree. I think you would really have to develop him. And also, I don't feel like he plays the most intense when I when I watch him sometimes. But then again, yeah. there's no reason to be intense in Orlando. Like, imagine trying for the Orlando Magic. So, um, but like that style of player where you can like, come over as a, a weak side shot blocker, um, you know, hit the three and, and not be as much of a liability offensively. And, and um, yeah, I mean, again, like you also have to consider that you're pretty much, you, you've pretty invested in Precious as well. And, Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And if, if you're invested in a guy, then you probably should at least create a path for him to get to the starting five. Right. And right now, the starting five is pretty set. Maybe if you were to introduce someone else, you would take Gary out of the starting five. You put Precious in. But if you bring in a center to start as well, then you're really just saying Precious is just going to be an energy big for at least the next few years. So, you know, if you do really believe in Precious, you also got to leave that space open. So I honestly, I don't want to overpromise anything because I don't think the front office is going to like actually add that many pieces. Like, I think they're going to try and, and invest in this team, which they've said outright multiple times. Which is honestly, I, I think that they should do that. I, I really do, do love this team. I've talked, I've, I've written about them. I've talked about them quite a bit in, in just how fun and odd it is, but it really is the future of basketball. And the Raptors are banking on the fact that you mentioned it, that you can teach shooting, you can teach playmaking, you can't teach being 6'9". You cannot teach being as athletic as a guy like Precious Achua is. Um, but I did like the fact that you mentioned if they do get a guard, a bigger guard. Um, what, I've, what I've sort of been wanting to maybe explore a little bit more, um, and this is something that Nikias has rocked, uh, talked about uh, and written about, and I've talked about it with him, is just this idea of how the Raptors are able to use some of their smaller guards. Because 
when we're talking about bigger teams, we're talking about moving away from smaller guards, but the Raptors have, of course, had them with Lowry and Fred Van Vliet and using them in an inverted pick and roll. And just and just the, the ability for the Raptors bigs to play similarly to guards and for the Raptors guards to play similarly to bigs is what makes this team unpredictable and fun. And I'm not saying that Fred Van Vliet is out there as, as a, you know, nominal, if you're not going to use him in that way, but he can, he can sort of, you can post him up. It, it, it struggles. Uh, guys struggle to post a guy like Fred Van Vliet up who's incredibly sturdy. And also because he's incredibly sturdy, he can set a mean screen. And so the Raptors are comfortable using him as a screener. You don't do it as often as I would like them to, but that is something that they do have the ability to do, which makes this team really odd in the most fun ways um, and makes them, I think, really difficult for other teams to sort of game plan for on a game to game basis, as opposed to the series and as opposed to a playoff series. Yeah. Um, so I have to ask who on the team, because I, I feel like a lot of people are talking about if there is a trade chip, if there is someone to move and this wasn't on the rundown again, but who on the team are you looking at as someone that could be a trade chip? That's someone that the Raptors may be moving off from moving forward and might not be on this team next season if we're looking for looking to a year in advance. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, this is so hard to say. Um, it really depends on sort of what they're getting back and obviously like, you know, what direction they want to move in. I think to me, like OG is a guy who has a long-term contract and if and I could see a lot of other teams valuing OG. I think the harder thing with moving Gary is that he's expiring. I think they'll get yeah. his bird rights, so that's okay. But like, uh, yeah, ultimately, an expiring contract is not that valuable. I think people have also talked about maybe you trade Fred. I just don't see it. Not saying that they wouldn't trade Fred for the right move because obviously they would, but like they love Fred. Um, he is very important to the fabric of the team in beyond the fact that they have the numbers on, on, on the stats or whatever. And, and by the way, Fred also had a really good season. So I don't know why you would want to trade Fred, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, those are, those are kind of it really. Like I, you're really not trading Pascal, especially after a season like this, if anything, you're probably looking to call his agent and, and call for an extension if possible. Um, you're definitely not trading Scotty. I guess you can also consider Precious a trade commodity, but then again, Masai's feelings about Precious. Masai My basically feelings talks about Precious. About... Precious isn't going anywhere. Yeah, Future All-NBA player. <laughs> right, so like, if you're not really going to do that, then you know what? You realistically don't have that many things that uh, you're really able to move, right? And and you've already moved your first-round pick. It's not future fix that you can move, but there's not that many pieces on the team that are actually that movable. So, which is why I kind of went on that whole spiel about Fred Van Vliet is because I think a lot of people are looking at him and I'm like, unmovable. Like the way that you're able to play him as a smaller guard, yes, you may be wanting to move away from those guys, but mm -hmm. he is so integral to what the Raptors do. I think you touched on it with, with all of those guys there. Is it Gary? <laughs> we just worked on what I mean, Gary? yeah, but like, how much are you getting back for Gary? That's a good point. You're going to get another Gary, you're going to get another Norm. <laughs> Just keep getting younger every single time. I mean, Gary's as young as it goes. Like, we, we, yeah. we've got him for a little bit. And also, like, training Gary is hard to do because you need to get a shooting guard in return. Or at least yeah. another guard, period, right? And, uh, and uh, yeah, at that point, why are you trading Gary? I don't know. And, and he's really shown how just important he is to this team as a guy who can go out on a night-to-night -night basis when he's healthy and just get you 30 points for a team that really does struggle to score in the half court also the lack of shooting that this team has yes they'll need another guy who kind of replaces everything that he does um I think defensively is where sort of people point to him and look at him because I think we saw in the playoff series against 
the Philadelphia 76ers that he was a guy that that teams could sort of single out and attack. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's still so young. And I think that we sort sort of forget that. I think oftentimes when people focus on development, they focus on the the offensive development that we want to see from our defensive players, like um, like a precious Achua. Whereas with Gary, it's kind of the reverse. I mean, that he he's long, he's quick, and we've seen him make that next step. He was what second or third in deflections in the entire league this season. So, I think this team is really fun, and I think what we're going to see, and what I sort of asked you all these unnecessary questions to really get to, is this idea that this is a team that you have moving forward and they're young and it is development. I know Fred VanVleet talked about next season not being a development year, but these guys are going to continue to grow and develop and we got to see them in roles that they've never had right through the roster, every single guy. So it'll be really fun, but I want to get to the last segment with you. Mm, Okay. This is the award segment. You like to give awards after every single game. We'll get to the Gerald Henderson award too here. Um, But before we do that, I have to ask you, we have an all-star. We potentially have an all-NBA player. But who is this team's MVP? Yeah, that's a surprisingly tough question. Um, but I think ultimately, based on the playoff performance, you got to go with Pascal. I think basically from January onward, this guy was sensational. Um, you know, when you think of like the modern star, you're thinking about a guy who gets you like 25 points and then flirts with a triple-double and guards different positions and handles the ball and sets guys up and gives you tough buckets and you know is your main half-court creator it's all that's pascal and like the endurance that he was able to show where like he just wasn't tired pretty much ever which i don't know how that works but he just the man was just never tired you even played 45 minutes a game and you know he was also incredibly durable coming off of that injury like the only time he missed this season was shoulder surgery and COVID for like two games. Yeah. That's it. Like he had a remarkable season. And when you look at the final numbers on his, uh, on his, on his campaign, it's like, yeah, he, he, he was the MVP of the season. I think Fred was the MVP of the season uh, up until about maybe midway through January, but then Pascal's quality, I think showed through it. And, and honestly, it's, it's good that we can even have this discussion because like, the two of them were expected to be leaders of this team, and it's no surprise that we're talking about them in this context. Exactly. No, I, like I just looked up his numbers right now as you were speaking. Since January 1st, Pascal Siakam is averaging 24 points, nine boards, and six assists. Yeah, like... Ridiculous numbers. Shooting 50% from the floor, 37% from deep, uh-huh. and getting to the line six times a game. Yeah. Well, <laughs> what? I, I know. It, it. Those are incredible, incredible averages. Like, that's... So good for Pascal, honestly. Like I, and, I think, and like doing it on the defensive end as well. <laughs> just yeah, stellar. Man, that double block on Jimmy Butler is still sticking out to me, man. Oh Dude. my goodness, what a play! That was beautiful. Yeah, that that, that really was. That was a, one of, a really really fun game that I I can't wait to to talk a little bit more about in my sort of favorite games of this of the um all all of those Miami games. All right, so that is the MVP now. The MIP, there's been a lot of controversy about the MIP of the league, but I don't think there'll be a lot of controversy, or maybe there will, for the MIP for the Raptors. Who is your MIP, Will? I mean, as with most improved, you really got to consider, like, so many factors. I think most improved within the course of the season is undoubtable. It has to be Chris Boucher. That man was playing awful at the start of the year, Chris. I'm sorry, man. 
but it's true. Like he was really struggling. They coming off like the injury that knocked him out for a training camp really set him back. Then he was playing a new position. He, he shifted to playing a lot more four this year. Then he was like shooting a lot of jumpers, which like this guy was even taking mid range pull ups. It was like, what was he doing? Offensively, he was making more lapses. But then he became so solid as the year went on. I think like that. He's talked about it that uh, Boxing Day game where him and Svi were literally the number one and two option, which, like, oh my God, that game should not count. Like, people should get refunds for that <laughs> one. But, um, he after that game, he's like, damn, this, this, this scoring stuff is not cut out for me. I got to do something different. And he reinvented himself within the course of the season. And towards the end of the year, I'm so happy he got that game six uh, performance where he, like, what he had, like 19 and 11 at halftime of game six and it was like single-handedly carrying the Raptors and keeping them in the game with his hustle plays like salute to Chris Boucher a uh, fellow Yahoo employee you know um I just know that uh he's got a a nice period here where he can enjoy free agency and um I'm hoping he's back with the team the Raptors continue to speak like he's still with the team so I I think that uh he's things are probably gonna look good on that end yeah I, I kind of like that you chose Chris Boucher for your MIP because I think for Chris Boucher, it's less that he improved at like in terms of what he's able to do, but mm -hmm. um, more so in understanding his role with the team and yeah. fitting into that. Um, because we know that, that uh, Chris Boucher had the ability to, to be a hustle guy. That's, that's how he's made his money in the NBA. Mm -hmm. He might not have known that at the beginning of the year, but the Cleveland game happened. And uh, he, he really was spectacular for the Raptor and really instrumental in all that they did. Um, his hustle plays. I, I like that you did that. We're, we're bearing all hatchets with Chris Boucher. I mean, you've already done that, but MIP, MIP to you. I thought it was going to be precious because you said yeah, during no, the fair. season. <laughs> yeah, that's also fair. The two of them coming up together. Like, remember we were talking about every single game was like, yo, the Raptors bench is garbage. It's, it's I mean, like, no offense to these guys, but they were bad. They were, like, outright terrible. Like, yeah. the amount of times I was like, all right, and uh, the Gerald Henderson Award goes to Larry Nance because he single-handedly outscored all the Raptors bench guys combined. And Larry Nance doesn't even have a scoring move. He doesn't – his scoring move is dunk the ball. Like, so, um, yeah, the, the bench really improved those two players there. I'm happy you're shedding up Precious, too, because, uh, again, similar to Chris, start of the season, I don't know that – oof. Did you have a favorite Precious, like, what are you doing play? Um, so there are, there were so many where he was just like a one-man fast break and he turned yeah. them all over. And it was just like, yeah. how? <laughs> how are you doing that? <laughs> it was like, I feel like there were so many of those moments that were just mm -hmm. like, okay, <laughs> a Precious fast break is an automatic turnover. Let's just go back. Stay, stay back, guys. I feel like halfway through the season, the Raptors are like, all right. Enough is enough. The only people who run the fast break are Fred, Pascal, and Scotty. <laughs> Everyone I, I else like just Goran, runs to the rim, man. I feel like Goran walked the ball up. Like it wasn't a fast break at that point. It's like we're in transition, and here he is, just like sabotaging the team. Unbelievable. What are you doing, Goran? Um, no, so so that that's great. So okay, back to our sort of expectations versus reality. If I had asked you at the beginning of the season who your MVP would be, I imagine you would say either Fred or, or or Pascal, and you ended up going with one of those two. If I had asked you who your MIP was, mm. would it have been Chris Boucher at the start of the season? Uh, no, not at all. Like you know me, like I I really didn't believe in this uh, 
transformation, which I think is like really made it so much more enjoyable. You know, like honestly, when your expectations are exceeded, like that's the main thing in life. It's not really about what what ultimately happens. It's just about how much your the delta between your expectations and your and the reality. So set expectations low, will low, and enjoy life. Yes, definitely. That is actually a, a key lesson, or at least just like be humble to not expect everything. I think that's the other. That's probably the bigger thing. Um, oh, uh, I think it was probably OG was probably going to be everyone's pick. I think he was like yeah. a popular, like sexy blogger pick. Um, uh, for for mm. you know, for okay. winning MIP anyway. Also, yeah. salute to OG and Obi, the original sexy blogger pick. Shout out to Fran Frischilla. Always a <laughs> memorable quote for Raptors on on draft night. Um. Six man of the so six man of the year is really interesting because I think um let's let's start with your preseason expectations. If I had asked you before the season started who your six man of the year would be, what would you what would you tell us? Um man, for a brief moment I thought it was gonna be Goron if he was gonna buy in. Clearly he wasn't gonna buy in, so no Goron. Um I probably would have picked Chris. I mean, he was the six man of the year for the Raptors last year, and there was no reason why he wouldn't do it again this year. I just think he did it in an entirely different fashion, which is super cool. Like he wasn't scoring the ball that much. Um, yeah. but, uh, you know, as we talked about, like the hustle plays and everything like that, like he really became such a solid presence for the team. And I thought, honestly, like there's a trend now. And then, you know, you wrote about this too. It's just like having all these bigs on the floor and, you know, it's, it goes back to like, I guess, more traditional schools of thought with basketball is that you have as much rim protection as possible. And when you have a guy who you can play at the four, like Chris, who can't get out the three point line and definitely guard a little bit on the, on the perimeter, but realistically, having a four who is not initially involved in most of the pick and roll actions, but he's able to come over and rotate and block a shot or take a charge or make a play and just contest a shot or whatever, or come over with a double team. That's so helpful for shutting off the paint for the offense. Um, So, you know, I I know people like, for example, the classic uh, style that's talked about this is like, or the case that's talked about this is Robert Williams with the Sixers or with the Celtics. And it's like, you know, yeah, the Celtics where it's just like, you know, Al Horford plays the five and he'll come over and block shots or like Giannis does the same thing with the Bucks. He's Chris is not those two guys, but functionally he was able to play that role and, and really bring up the defensive uh, ceiling of the Raptors. So I'm going to give it to, to Chris second year running six man of the year. There we go. There we go. Did it one year with his threes and did it the second year with his charges in the paint. Yeah. Um, all right. So this, now we're getting now we're getting into the fun awards, but actually before we do that, the bench. I, I want to talk a little bit more about the bench because I think okay. I think I think there needs to be a little bit more focus. I came in, I wasn't as low on the bench. I don't know yeah, what the neither. general consensus. Okay, so I wasn't as low on the bench. I thought you know Svi can maybe provide some shooting. I didn't really know what else he really brought to us, which turned out to not be fun. But um, I thought. Utah was someone I love. I know Utah is someone that you really love um, as well. Defensively, he looked good for the Raptors last season. I thought if he could yeah. hit his open threes, if he could, and he, he, he just wasn't able to really get any touch um, and, and none of his shots really went down. And it was unfortunate that we never really got to see him have a run. And I think for a lot of the bench guys, the, the lack of minutes, it's kind of a double-edged sword, right? You're not getting any minutes. You can't really improve. Uh, and if you're not improving, Nick Nurse is not going to be giving you any minutes. Um, kind of a chicken and an egg thing. What were your expectations for the bench preseason? And and let's let's change that to reality because the bench did improve by the end. I thought the Raptors were a deeper team than the Sixers, which found, feels really odd to say. Yeah. Um, but we did get to the point where the Raptors were the deepest 
deeper team in the playoffs. Yeah, and that's why I ultimately felt confident in the Raptors winning game six and potentially even winning game seven against the Sixers. It was just like, it felt like over the course of the series, the Sixers had four guys that they could play, mm-hmm. four really, really good players who played great together, but like nobody was coming off to reinforce them off the bench. And for the Raptors, it felt like they had seven guys that they could rely on. Um, yeah, it, it was really interesting because the start of the season, it was like, okay, well, on paper, so Goran was really good for the Heat. Well, not really good. He's pretty good for the Heat off the bench last season. And if he was just going to, like, buy in and just be part of the team, he could have been pretty good for the Raptors off the bench this season. What have changed the way they played, all this, blah, 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 blah. But realistically, the Raptors had enough defensive talent to, like, at least play Goran a little bit. And especially when Fred got one down, there was an opportunity for Goran to even start in certain games. Whatever. Turns out the guy's probably just kind of close to Washington anyway, so whatever. It doesn't really matter. Uh, but, like, you know, on paper, it seemed like Goran could do something for you. Chris was already coming off a really nice year as, as a bench piece, uh, you know, playing a different style. You add pressures to that mix. Um, it was looking pretty decent, you know? So I, I think the fact that the, the bench went downhill so quickly – um, you know, really does surprise me in a sense. But I think it also kind of impresses me the fact that, A, the players were able to turn it around like Precious and Chris, but also just like in, in Nick Nurse's case, finding something that worked. Because eventually the season turned around when Nick was like, you know what? No more Svi. All right? No more Malachi. No more Utah. All right? We're going to play seven guys. As a matter of fact, some games we're going to play six guys. <laughs> and people are going to go playing, whatever. Raptors are going to win a bunch of games. Get over 500, and then as the season goes on, we're going to progressively start to introduce more players into the rotation. Obviously, the trade adding Thad was allowed the Raptors to expand their rotation again. And it's just like, I think there's also got to be a standard that's set too. Like, even for some of these guys, like, yes, you know, on in theory, Utah could have been really a, a nice 3 and D guy, or like in theory, Speed could have been a really nice shooter off the bench, or in theory, Ken Birch could have been a solid guy who, you know, didn't eat an elbow every single game. But like over the course of time, it was like, what well, these guys just weren't doing enough. So like yeah. you have to have a center to play. If you're going to be competitive, you can't be playing guys who don't bring much on the floor. So um, it's unfortunate, but uh, yeah, I don't know. We, we, we definitely needed more bench depth and um, I'm happy the front office went out and got it. Like it was a nice like show of faith in this team. Like, Hey, we believe in you. Yeah. You know, here's, here's two more forwards. <laughs> But, I mean, that was uh, so instrumental for the Raptors. Uh, just a phenomenal player and a great, great veteran presence that this team definitely lacked with um, Goron being who knows where. All right, so Gerald Henderson is an award that you give out to an opposing player who scorches the Raptors like Gerald Henderson did consistently, um, still in my nightmares. Ramon Session, Gerald Henderson, just that entire oh team. That entire team. I hated all of them. Um Yo, Jeremy Lin had like a 30 piece on us anyway. Oh whatever. my goodness. <laughs> like it, and it continued on. It's like it's not like it ended with the Gerald Henderson years. We had Jeremy Lin hit back-to-back game winners against Yo, the that's right, against the championship team. <laughs> against the championship and, uh, team. It just never ended. Uh so so who let's start with the team. Do the Raptors have a new Charlotte yes. Hornets? Yep, the Detroit Pistons. You know this. <laughs> You know this. <laughs> so does that make Dwayne Casey the Gerald Henderson, or is there a particular Gerald Henderson? No, man, we can't. Pistons? No, we can't. I mean, I, I guess he would be the new Randy Whitman for for Francis. <laughs> who, going back to 2015, which we promised we wouldn't talk about, but uh, here we are talking about the man who couldn't decide which was uh, the right side up for a whiteboard. Um, honestly, so I was thinking on this, and I was like, was there one guy that like? torch the Raptors that much 
over the course of the season who wasn't a star. I think ultimately I'm probably going to have to go with Tyrese Maxey, mm. which like I knew he was really good, but wow, when he was good, the guy looked freaking unstoppable, man. I, I just, I, I guess like that's the guy after playing the Sixers, I'm like, I'm terrified to play Maxi. And I, you know what, actually over the course of the season, um, there was one game where the Raptors won. That was the game where Fred did the, the big onion stance um, right in front of Sam Cassell. What a legend. Uh, and, um, you know, and Bede was out for that game. So that, and obviously they hadn't traded for Harden just yet. This was like November, I think. Yeah. Maxi had like 37 or something like that in the game. So, man, that guy torched the Raptors all season and ultimately buried the Raptors at the end of it. So I, I'll give it to Tyrese. Good for him. I mean, good for him. He, he's looking like a star. There are mo- he's so crafty around the rim. Like, there are moments yeah. where he's like, oh, like, he reminds me of, like, a, a young Tony Parker with how crafty he is and how his ability to just sort of just do that. Like, what? Um, he's always going for the reverse finish, though. Guy. Okay, can, can, I, can, I, can I? Eric, Eric Spolstra, I'm speaking to you right now. I know you're, you love watching Out Sports Canada, especially for X's and O's. Tell your team Tyrese Maxey is always going for the reverse layup. So contest him on the far side of the basket, please. I'm sorry. After seeing him for six straight games, he I missed tell one. You. I feel like he missed one reverse layup all series because I remember yeah. the one that he missed, and I was like, he can miss that? Like, I just thought physics meant yeah. it, it was going to go in. But the shooting, too, it was like, and, oh uh, you know, I, I was at the game, so I was watching all the warm ups and stuff like that. That man could freaking shoot, man. He's been lights and- out. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, he's so good at attacking the close. I, I honestly, coming into the series, I was like, are we sure we're not overreacting to Maxi? Are we sure this isn't just, like, Norman Powell? And I was like, okay, that's not Norman Powell. That, that, that guy's good. No offense he's to Norman, so but, like, he's good. a different level. Come on. Yeah. He's so yeah. good. I'm trying to see um, what, what he has here. In... He's shooting 45% from deep since January 1st. Yeah, wow. I mean, that's ridiculous. That's insane. But he's like, he, like, he looks like that. Like, I don't know. His his shooting warmups don't look that different from like Fred's shooting warmups, which is kind of nuts to think about. Over 45% from deep since January 1st is just absolutely ludicrous. But that's, I mean, that's what Tyrese Maxey does. Yep. Um, so he, he won't be, he won't be a non-star for too long. I think next season, we're definitely going to be talking about him. It's too good for the Gerald Henderson class. But, but I do like that because he, he did just torch the Raptors in the regular season and in the playoffs. Now, when other teams play the Raptors, mm-hmm. you know who Pascal Siakam is, the game plan for him. We talked about them. They, they, the, the Sixers were trapping him at half court. They know who Fred Van Fleet is. He is his team's all-star. He also gets trapped a ton. I mean, they bust both those guys. So who else on the team do you think? Or when, when fans are watching the Raptors, their team play the Raptors, who do you think they look at as a Gerald Henderson? Um, who is the random guy that just scorches other teams and is a surprise guy? Yeah, it's got to be. On those nights. I mean, for the for the Raptors, it's got to be Gary Trent Jr. Like, the amount of times so like, we would watch a game and like Fred and Pascal were playing well, whatever, but then Gary would have 30, like this guy had 36 straight games and he's like the fourth option at the starting five. Right. So I'm sure for a lot of teams they are like, yo, what the hell is going on? How yeah. is he not missing everything? And, and why is he cheesing on every single jumper? <laughs> it, it just makes it so much more painful. So yeah, I'm, I'm sure if you, if you ask other fans, I, unfortunately it didn't really happen in the Sixers series. I'm um, obviously him being sick and, Honestly, the yeah. Sixers are just a bad matchup for him. But like, yeah, I mean, it, it's gotta be it's gotta be Gary. Like that man, that man cheesed mm-hmm. his way to so many wins for us. 
But as, as someone who like, I, I did watch a lot of the Sixers broadcast, they were they were like, well, Gary's killed us before. Gary constantly killed. Like they were terrified anytime he got mm-hmm. the ball. So it does work. I mean, I definitely think Gary Trent Jr. is that guy. And you talked about it, he's the fourth option on this Raptors team. So just looking into the future. There's no reason to not be optimistic. We focused on the bench a little bit. We talked Mm -hmm. about OG potentially being the guy that we saw as MIP, and unfortunately injuries came into play. But hopefully he has a normal offseason this year. He can rehab and be back next season. Fred and Pascal, all NBA caliber players. And Gary Trent Jr. is your fourth option. He's still so incredibly young. We did all of that without talking about the rookie of the year, who is your rookie of the year, Scotty Barnes. So there's just a lot to be optimistic about, despite the fact that our feelings might be hurt, that the playoffs are now done and this team is is gone for a few months. I think there's lots of reasons to be optimistic and we should have high expectations going into next season. Let's say you. Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. I mean, look, you can't expect everything to happen immediately for you in life. And the Raptors were at the start of something. I think for a lot of people who want to see the team improve, like they're probably trying to hit fast forward on the year, which I totally understand. Like, again, I was there for a lot of those years uh, with the, the last iteration of the Kyle and DeMar team. And it was also like, let's trade in what we have now for what we're going to get later and just fast forward to that part. But like, you got to give these ty- guys time to grow. Um, and especially because these guys have shown the ability to grow. I think, um, you know what, obviously if, if, if a Kawhi trade comes along, you make it hundred percent of the time you make it. But we also know that that's sort of like a very rare opportunity in basketball. Um, that's why that's one of the greatest trades ever, uh, uh, you know, consummated. So like, yeah, for just keep growing. Like I think the one of the nice things with the team is like outside of Thad and Chris who are free agents, but you have the bird rights and you have plenty of room under the, the, the luxury tax to be able to bring these guys back in. And you have the mid-level, like, you know, just, just make some small tweaks to the team, but the realistic going to bring the team back. And it's really just about how much these guys want to grow. And if we've seen anything over the history of the Raptors, the whole culture is that they're going to try to keep growing. So um, yeah, patience. Yeah. Keep coming back. And and it's the last thing about Gary, like I just looked this up just cause I wanted to like scratch it. So first off, Gary had 42 twice this season, including against the Phoenix suns. Okay. Not, not, not a bad team that Phoenix suns. Um, <laughs> Gary scored 20 points or more in 27 games this season. That's crazy. Like Fred, just to compare Fred only did it 33 times. There you go. And OG only did it like 19, right? So you got to give Gary a lot of love for his season. But no, seriously, though, you have the ability to bring everyone back. I think they're going to do so. And uh, yeah, we're just looking to see if the team can get healthier and maybe add a couple of reinforcements and, and you know, get to that 50-win plateau and try to win a round next year. Also, yeah. we have Scotty Barnes. Like, it's, it's, go, it's what okay. What are we doing here? <laughs> we, got, okay. we, got, we got the man uh, himself. Uh, who, what are they calling him now? Hemothy Duncan? Him Duncan? <laughs> no, Himothy Duncan is wild. <laughs> Himothy Duncan. No, Him Duncan is good. The Himothy Duncan is insane. Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, I was going to tell you guys next season is the championship run. Raptors are winning it all in 2023. But William Lou said to keep your... When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. 
Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Expectations low. So no, let's win around next year. Let's I'm do just going to call for an Eastern Conference Finals run. I mean, look, it's possible. Like, what, this is what we were saying right before we started recording. We were like, look at these bum teams in the <laughs> second round. Like, we can take a lot of these teams. Really like, you tell me the Raptors couldn't beat Memphis? I, I also, like, uh, Memphis, is, Memphis is a fun and young and interesting team. But I, here, here's... Um, I kind of look at the Celtics and where they are as what the Raptors should be aiming to be. The Celtics are better defensively because the Raptors just make a lot of miscues and they're just not, they're not like totally on the string. There's always, but we know that that's what the Raptors are looking to do. They want to switch everything. They want to play defense very similarly to how the Celtics play. The Celtics also got deeper by bringing in Derek White. Um, They just have more guys that they can play, more guys that they can rely on. I think the Raptors, if they just add more guys, Defense gets a little bit tighter next season. Hopefully they have the injury luck that the Celtics were able to have. I know Robert Williams went down, but they were able to withstand that. Um, And then they were fairly healthy in the second half of the season. I feel like the Raptors could have a similar leap. Maybe not one in the same because people are picking the Celtics to win it all. But I don't see why the Raptors, if they get more depth and their defense gets tighter, we can't be talking about them in the same breath. I mean, Jason Tatum did just just have 10 points on 19 shots. Mm, nasty <laughs> performance. I was watching that thing, too. That was nasty. Seeing so, it live, it was super terrible. Oh, I loved we, it. It we, made we my heart so performers like that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was funny. Because I, I, I tweeted this up, but whatever. I'll say it again. It's just like, you know, you you had one, one end. Giannis was making spin moves like Pat Scow. And I was Ooh. like, okay, damn. That was, that was a spicy P move right there. Like, he really, you know took her on a date and spun her like Siakam. And then on the other end, you had like literally Tatum was playing like bubble peas. So I was like, all right, I really, really love that game. Go Bucks go. And uh, yeah, unfortunately we do have to kind of model it like the Celtics. And yeah, if we're going to be truthful about it, like the Celtics have like Tatum has been better than Siakam um, pretty much the whole time. Sometimes they've been close. They kind of converge a little bit, but you know, um, Tatum is ahead of Siakam. And, you know, you have like, you know, Jalen Brown, we've seen OG comparisons to Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown is better than OG. Like, you, you know, there's, there's still a level to go there. You know, you look at Al Horford, you know, they have an Al Horford who's been great for them. We have Thad Young, who is also the same age, but like not the same level, you know, but like we have like Al Horford had a crazy game yesterday. Al Horford's been incredible, man. Like, what I, was that? Yeah. So like, I, I guess like, I mean, look, Thad is doing really well too, but it's like obviously a different level. You know, you look at Grant Williams versus the Precious Achua, like there's a lot of similarities there. That you could look at, but um, I see a Scotty Barnes on one team and no Scotty Barnes on another. That's team, true. Baby. That's the wild card. There is no Scotty Barnes equivalent on that team. There's no so. Fred Van Vliet equivalent, baby. Oh, they have Marcus Smart. Okay. Remember okay. when they're saying Marcus Smart was just like a like a slightly discount version of Kyle Lowry? They were like, he's Kirkland Kyle Lowry. No, he's not, man. No. <laughs> no, he's not. No. Yeah. <laughs> We're not going to talk about Kyle Lowry's last playoff game. That never happened. We never saw it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Listen, <laughs> Miami, he's all yours now, baby. Was he a you... plus eleven? Was he a plus eleven? I didn't check. No, I don't even know he was a plus eleven. I think it was a minus. This one, 
But uh, no, you know, you know, Kyle's always good for one of those. It's okay. You gotta like. Here's the thing. When you're married to someone for a long time, you know exactly what's going to happen, right? They're going to let you down in certain ways. But if you know they're going to let you down, you can at least sort of like uh, ride it out and be okay with it. So now that you're newly married to Kyle, you're probably like flipping out. You're probably like lying awake at night being like, did I make a mistake? Do I got to get the ring back? Relax. He'll he'll, he'll get you in the end. But you got to live with this because this this man is good for one of these for a playoff run, baby. Uh. I hate it had to happen to him, but you know, it was bound to at some point. Thank you so much, William Lou, for joining me. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another episode. We'll be back with so much more offseason coverage, talking about the future of the team and really taking a look back at the season.